0: Thanks. Uh, So biblical roles of the husband and the wife. uh, One man, one woman. Companionship and oneness is the purpose. the, The relationship is a picture of Christ in the church. Wives submit to their husbands with respect. Husbands love their wives sacrificially. To clarify, on the one hand, these are not felt needs that must be met. That's kind of how... A lot of popular Christian authors represent this. She needs love. He needs respect. Therefore, do those things. The biblical pattern is rather this pictures Christ, so do these things. It's not about you, it's about the testimony that you living these things out gives to the world around you. Furthermore, uh, there are a lot of concepts that society has. Uh, imposed might be too strong of a word, but think back to like the 1950s, guys went to work, women stayed at home, that's just the way that it was. Um, And so if that's the area you grow up in, or sort of the set of values that you have, then if you hear about a husband working from a home and a wife going and working outside the home, that may immediately rub you the wrong way without any regard for biblical principle, just that's not the way it's supposed to be because that's the way I was raised or I grew up or whatever. Um, Along those same sorts of lines, uh, there were different times when the ideal man the ideal woman had a certain set of characteristics and if you didn't conform to those characteristics there was a a perception that you didn't measure up or or whatever else sometimes this is very personal if your experience of being a child being a parent was a particular way then that shapes your perspective on how it should or shouldn't be generally speaking and my point is simply to say we need to bring all of those things and evaluate them according to biblical pattern God constituted what the family should be and do. What's the role of the family? A God-honoring family will normally include children. It doesn't mean a family without children is abnormal if the reasons for not having children are legitimate, but it does mean this is the typical pattern. That's what I mean by that. Loving relationships within the family anticipate similar relationships in the local church. Uh, consider all the brother sister language in the New Testament this comes down to a concept of the relationships in the church paralleling family type relationships relationships within families change over time due to sickness aging and death sometimes this is just a practical observation but there are specific examples like in John 19 Jesus making arrangements for John to care for his mother What responsibilities has God given to family members? Again, sometimes there are all sorts of ideas that go into this. Children are supposed to live out the dreams that their parents were never able to live up to. Or uh, children should get to do whatever they want because it's too much hassle not to do it that way, at least at first. Or you know any number of expectations, but the biblical ones are very simple. Parents are to teach and provide for their children. Children are to obey when young and honor throughout life their parents. And then the family roles obviously change in heaven. They're not the same sort of thing. This seems to be very much tied to an earthly existence. So the thing that I want to focus on now is this number three. Conflicts in parenting or raising children often arise from failure to consider God's design for these roles. Turn over to Ephesians 5, if you would. I could have someone read Ephesians 5. And let's see here. Now I have 11 to 22, but it probably should be 22 to 33. So let me have someone read 5, 22 to 33. Yeah, The last three, if you and would. For this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and shall be
1: joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is above his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must be with that she respects be her husband.
0: All right, so as we look down through here, What are some potential points of conflict that would flow out of not following these verses? Look at the first one there. A wife may be unwilling to submit to her husband as to the Lord. And there's a variety of reasons for this. And these may be some that you've thought through or the people you know have thought through. She may see submission as an invitation to abuse or mistreatment Or be afraid of the implications of submission. What, biblically speaking, is submission? What are wrong views? What's the correct view? What's that? Okay. Respect. Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, we didn't look at the Titus passage, but one of the examples it gives is when she, um, it says Sarah obeyed Abraham and the things that he requested of, not even requested, the things that he told her to do is what it did, I think the way that it's phrased. Um, and that's something that I think, I mean, think about your kids. You tell them to do something, and sometimes they're just like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And as a wife, you're probably going to feel the same way. And the point of discussion, the the point in question is not, is it a good idea? Do I agree with it? The thing is, God has given him the responsibility to lead, and you need to follow what he is doing. Obviously, there are clear exceptions to this. If he is telling you to do something specifically sinful. If he says, go steal some money so that we can pay this bill, that's wrong, don't do it. If he says, I want you to take the trash out, and you're like, no, I don't want to take the trash out, that is not a legitimate reason to ignore what he is saying. And people don't like this. But think about the motivation, the reason that's being given here. As the church is subject to Christ, so the wives to their husbands and everything. If you give an example to your husband, to the people around you, of obedience, then that gives a picture of the way the church is supposed to be obeying Christ. And if you don't, then it also gives sometimes a poor picture of how the, the, the church is supposed to be. Um... Submission is not, and this was something that sometimes people would say, it's not being a doormat, it's not don't have any opinions, but it's recognizing that he has final responsibility. Sometimes that means he is going to make wrong decisions. Do you know what that means? It's not your fault if he makes the wrong decisions, which is both a blessing and potentially a frustration, but that's the way that God has set it up. Um, He has accountability to God for what he does and doesn't do well. She may have secondly adopted unbiblical perspectives about her role as a woman from the surrounding culture. What are some unbiblical perspectives about the role of a woman that are part of our culture today? Okay. What else? Okay. I
2: the way it is, woman feels to do
0: Okay. Yeah. And that may potentially work both ways, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um even the whole discussion of abortion, my body is my right to do whatever I want to do with regardless of the consequences, that is an unbiblical perspective. Or the idea that beauty and attraction is a tool to manipulate and get what I want. That's an extra biblical idea as well. We see it in Proverbs, but not in a positive light. Um, there's a whole bunch of these possible perspectives. And depending on a variety of factors, the home that we grew up in, the things that we read, the things that we watch, the people that we listen to, the friends that we have, these perspectives seep into our own thinking as well. A fourth or a third con- thing connected with this idea of submission is that a wife may be better than him at a particular task or even have a better job. When uh, Kelly and I got married, this was the case. I was working for the church, making what you know Christian school church workers typically make, and she was working in the public schools making quite a bit more, and this was just a simple fact. Did this mean? That submission meant she needed to quit her job so that I could be the sole person providing for the family? No, but it did mean some planning for the future because when we had kids, then all that was gonna change. So if we got used to this, then we weren't gonna be prepared to live here. But again, sometimes we think that this is automatically wrong. It is perhaps, not perhaps, it is wise of a husband to recognize when his wife is better at something than he is and perhaps give her that responsibility. Sometimes some guys are like, I need to manage the money. I need to organize some particular thing about the house because that's just the guy's job to do. If your wife is better than you at fixing cars, don't be stubborn about it. (laughs) If she is better than you with money, don't be proud and be like, I'm the one who's going to do it if she's better at it. Um, you know, maybe the, it's silly for us to argue over these things and assign value based on particular skills and ways in which God has gifted us. So, acknowledge and recognize each other's strengths and weaknesses, and don't have a, a perspective that says, here are the ten things the guy must do, here are the ten things the wife must do as long as it doesn't violate this biblical principle it honestly doesn't matter which of those things someone does um, you know there are cases in which just talking with uh, a fellow that we met, his parent of one of Maggie's classmates um, he's had a significant number of health issues and so he hasn't been able to work consistently and his wife works and has a good job and so um, a lot of his time is spent helping take care of the kids. And he also is, you know, working on things to try to be able to work, but practically speaking, he's just physically not able to do it. Is that wrong? There's a part of us that might say, you know, like, the, the guy's the one that's got to work, the wife should always stay home. There's a sense in which ultimate responsibility is given to the husband for the instruction of the children, the providing the home, But how specifically that works out, there's flexibility in those things. Um, Number four, she may see her tasks in the home as mundane or without value. Sometimes without end, right? There's always people tracking dirt through the kitchen. There's always people making dirty laundry. There's always people who are hungry. And she may just get frustrated with it all and say, you know what, I have a I have a grad degree, or I was successful at doing this, or I was whatever, and now I'm wiping noses and cleaning things up off the floor and those sorts of things. See those responsibilities as having value in God's sight. Uh, when it says in 1 Timothy that the wife will be saved through childbearing and raising of godly children. See it as a valuable task from God. Don't see it as a waste of your time. Along those same lines, guys, we have responsibility not to make that task unnecessarily hard, to ignore when your wife is overwhelmed, to uh, be lazy around the house just because, well, I've worked all day. Well, it's not as though what she's doing stops just at a certain time of the day, you know? Fourthly, she may be married to an unbeliever and believe that he cannot be converted. Certainly, God can save anyone. That doesn't mean that he will. That does not relieve the responsibility to submit, given that the things he's asking her to do are acceptable to God. They may be unreasonable, but as long as they are not sinful, she has a responsibility to try to follow his leadership. Secondly, a husband may fail to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Think about that phrase for a second. As Christ loved the church. The wife's phrase was, as the church is subject to Christ. The husband's phrase is, as Christ loved the church. How much and how far and to what extent did Christ love the church That is an impossible task to live up to, but God gives us grace to strive toward it. In what ways may there be a struggle here? A husband may believe his responsibility to lead or the fact that his wife has different physical capabilities gives him the right to treat his wife as inferior. This is the guy who says, I'm stronger than my wife, so I'm better than my wife. That's stupid for a variety of reasons. Your strength will fail... Um, the whole point of this is not so that you can show that you're better in some sort of competition, it's for you to use the ways that God has gifted you to serve her secondly he may have adopted unbiblical perspectives about his role as a man from the surrounding culture, what are some of these? unbiblical perspectives on manhood from the culture around us okay okay I deserve a certain lifestyle which, you know, could go for men or women both. But what what else? In the way that a man should treat women. What are some unbiblical perspectives? Okay. Okay. All right. What else? Okay. What else? I mean, the list that I have in my notes here, men are to prey on women, men are to lust after women, men are to mistreat women, or ironically, even sometimes at the same time, men are to sort of be these uh, overgrown babies that just sort of everybody takes care of them. Um... Men and women are the same, so let them do whatever they want. It really doesn't matter. So all of these perspectives, if they are ruling the way that we behave, are going to lead to tension because they're in conflict with the way that God has laid out things are supposed to be. I mean, some of them are are obviously sin. Men are to prey on women. Men are to lust after women. There's a whole lot of passages in the Bible that exclude those sorts of things. But even the idea of laziness and, and being passive around the house, uh, when we look at the next section about raising children, when it comes to the idea of fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, your wife can help you with that, but, but ultimately that's your responsibility. And If it doesn't happen, you're going to answer to God for it. Connected with that, he may be passive and fail to exercise godly leadership in providing for his family or in leading his family, particularly in their spiritual growth. Um, this idea of passivity is a problem in the home, it's a problem in the church. A lot of times, um, uh, my, my, my great aunt was a part of United Methodist Church, and her pastor was a woman, and her church was like, I think, ten women. Why? because the men didn't care anything about God, didn't do anything in the church, and I think that that largely led to that situation taking place. Was there bad theology that contributed to it? Yes, but there was a lot of practical missteps along the way that also contributed to it. So in a church like ours, if women are the one doing everything for a luncheon, um, doing all the cleaning around the church, all of those sorts of things, and men are not stepping up to lead in different ways, then we are failing to um, both set a godly example and potentially fulfill the responsibilities that we have. Um, Again, recognize what you're good at and what you're not good at. If you're not good at cooking, then facilitate your wife being able to bring something to the church potluck, you know. Uh, don't, don't be stubborn about it that way. But at the same time, and I'm not criticizing anyone. We have church work days, and a lot of you guys show up, and I'm very thankful for that, and we get a lot of stuff done. But, um, you know, just don't sit back and wait for other people to do things in the context of the church. Well, number four, he may put his job, his hobbies, or various self-interests before the good of his family. Um, I'll be honest, this is something that I've struggled with in the past and I have to constantly keep an eye on. When there's something that I'm particularly interested in, it can be like, this is the thing I'm interested in and I'm going to just, you know, throw myself into that thing. Probably a good example of this was when I was first um, interested in keeping fish five or six years ago, I would keep seeing these really good deals on Craigslist or whatever And so there were times when I was, you know, late to supper or, like, really pushing to be on time for a particular thing because I had said, this thing is really important and I've got to make this happen. I've got to do it right now. Recognize the the tier of priorities that God has assigned you. And your family is up here, and things that I would like to do in my free time is down here. And that's a struggle, I think, for guys, because I think that the reasoning sometimes goes like this. I've spent a lot of my time working during the week. Now I'm home, I can do what I want. But part of this is a misunderstanding of what it means to be one flesh. It's not she does her things in this room, he does his things in this room. It's not she has her budget, he has his budget. We are one in those things, whether that be the task of raising children, whether that be the hobbies and interests that we pursue and so uh, and this will come up in the case study you know if, if you're a guy and you're like you know what I want to go watch sports all day and my wife can deal with the kids and I've earned it because I worked all week yes you've worked hard all week but that doesn't mean your responsibility stops the moment that you walk in the door and that is such a struggle because that's like the stereotype 50 years ago it was dad gets home he gets handed the paper and his cup of coffee sits in the recliner Now it's dad gets home and he goes down to the basement, turns on the TV, or he goes and hangs out with his buddies or whatever else it might be. And that's just accepted as normal, but it's not following the biblical model. Number five, he may be married to an unbeliever and thinks she can't be converted. I don't have to love my wife because she doesn't love God and she makes my life difficult, you know, whatever else it might be. And the example of Titus would say God has the capability to convert your spouse, and even if he does not, Use of responsibility to show love and fulfill your biblical responsibilities. Thirdly, either spouse may reject the biblical pattern of love. Love seeks the good of the other for the long haul. I think that this is important because sometimes people think that love is only exclusively, primarily, that feeling you get when you look at someone and you're just like, my heart is filled with this feeling of joy, excitement, pleasure, happiness, all of those sorts of things. If that is exclusively the basis of your relationship, it's going to struggle or fall apart when anything difficult comes up because you may not always have that. That person may be sick. That person may um, know you have a headache and they're chewing too loud. Or um you know that person that you thought was perfect leaves his socks on the floor or the list goes on are you going to love the person that you have committed to in the presence of god despite all of those little things for the long haul secondly love is evidenced by action as well as affection Um. John Piper gives the example of um, there's this dynamic here. Husband comes home, buys his wife a dozen dozen roses, comes home. I give these to you because it's my duty to show love to you. How's that going to go over? Yeah. We can do the action without showing the affection. We can have the affection without having action. We need both of them to biblically demonstrate love. And then thirdly, love doesn't contradict God's will. This comes into temptations to adultery and unfaithfulness. This comes into, um, you know, when a spouse wants you to do something that's wrong. Love doesn't mean doing what displeases God. That's not loving. Uh, next section, and then we'll get into a couple case studies for a few minutes. Conflicts in raising children often flow out of neglect of principles in Ephesians 6, 1-4. You're probably already there. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long in the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A child may refuse to obey his parents. His parents may have mistreated him. Sometimes this is in a physical sense, and sometimes it's just simply in the way that we talk to our kids. And I wouldn't say that it's as damaging, but it can be very harmful to our children if we speak to them in ways that are dishonest. And by dishonest, I mean things like, you never do anything right, you are always doing whatever with your with your siblings you know those sorts of things or whether it's just always correcting and never encouraging or or any any number of those things his parents may be unbelievers again this doesn't justify sin any more than it does in a in a marriage where one is a believer and one is not but it does make it hard he may have adopted unbiblical attitudes about the rights of children from his peers or the culture as a whole my parents exist to give me stuff My parents are old and stupid and don't know anything. I mean, there's a whole bunch of unbiblical attitudes that are promoted in our culture and that are sometimes just naturally flow out of our sinful pride that we have to watch out for. Uh, Fourthly, and this is one that becomes more common in our culture, he may be struggling with his parents' decision to divorce. These circumstances impact us more than we realize or his parents' decision to do any number of other things. We're gonna move, we're gonna change schools, we're gonna, these things can create points of conflict where if a child is not convinced I have to obey my parents, follow their leadership, it's gonna create resentment and it has to be worked through. He may compare his situation to those of his friends. Billy does this, Sally has that, and again, just creating right expectations. A parent may drive his child to anger. Sometimes this can come from disciplining inconsistently out of anger, inconsistently, or out of anger, or out of fear. Inconsistency is a problem, obviously. If you say to your kid, stop doing that, or else, and the or else never happens, or it happens randomly, That doesn't teach him obedience. That teaches him to manipulate the situation. If you discipline out of anger, you're not showing love. If you discipline out of fear, then you're not trusting that God is working in your kid as much as you are trying to discipline him as well. You may focus too much on discipline or too much on instruction. Some parents are really good at discipline and never teach their kids. Some parents are really good at teaching their kids and never discipline their kids. You need a biblical balance of both. And then thirdly, and obviously the one we would never want to see happen, he may abuse his child. Um, Just a brief comment on the subject of spanking. Some people have taken one verse in Proverbs and maybe a few other passages and taken that as the be-all and end-all of what it means to properly parent a child. There are circumstances in which spanking is not possible legally. There are circumstances in which it is not wise societally. And regardless of those factors, we should also recognize that discipline is a whole lot more than those sorts of things. There are some children for whom the threat of temporarily and localized physical displeasure is not particularly motivating. And some people's response is to say, well, that means I just got to do it more and more and more or whatever. If we're not connecting with our kids, sometimes we blame the method, but the method is more than just one verse in Proverbs. And sometimes we fail to recognize what's going on. And, and I'm not saying that the solution to discipline is just give your kid a hug all the time. But I am also saying to recognize discipline is a process that includes teaching them what's right, consistently following up on what's right. Sometimes it's as simple as they're screaming about a toy at the store, and you say, you know what? We're going to go shopping another day. We're going to go home and that can speak volumes to them about your priorities, their role, all those sorts of things, just as much as if you say you're gonna get three swats when you get home. Sometimes people will say well let's do the whole grounding thing instead. Sometimes I think people do that because it's convenient. But sometimes there is wisdom in saying you're angry about this we're not really going to have a profitable conversation about it right now, go sit in your room and wait, and they calm down, and then you can have a conversation about it. And sometimes it takes them a long time to calm down, and sometimes it takes a lot of working through things and breaking bad habits, but think about discipline as being a process, as being something that God has called us to do. As being something that has to happen regularly consistently, and so on, as being both dad and mom's job as being you know part of this task that God has called us to to accomplish, and don't adopt society's attitudes, whether it goes to the extreme of never discipline your child or discipline your child in a harsh and an and a careless and a wrong way. all right, two case studies, we'll see how far we get on these. Someone want to read the first one on page
2: 32 there? you <coughs> after Bible study and you can tell she wants to talk. up you The husband is as far as knows, a good Christian guy. He wants to be Every week sure they're always on he does a lot of things that seems really so to be very helpful. They're called Taboris, he only likes to play video games or watch TV by himself. He's often not home for meals because he works 60 hours and he's very often. On weekends, he's always busy either helping out with church activities or sports fishing with his friends. Despite like having a good job, he almost never lets your hand in order to buy them. So Shakira like the house is fully decorated and the wardrobe is very outdated. There two kids, ages 5 and 9, so again, Mary will spend time with them. She's afraid of being a huge present for their birthdays or picking them up big for every few months, but she has a pen to help with the Homer, the science project, to the first piece of her, You'll be afraid of her, and ask if she would be a lawyer, like to come over and chat with you and your husband.
0: All right. Any things that stand out for y- to you from this? Okay, and that's the, one of the fundamental questions that we need to ask. What else? In what ways? Okay. But the, Okay. 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 What else? Oh, uh, are it, are either of them Christians? And then secondly, uh, Larry seems to have significant issues with understanding the role of the father. Okay. In what way? What else?
2: Well, he watches uh, TV by himself, or so he separates himself from the family. He uh, rarely spends time with the family or the children. I think he's not that kind
0: of working. OK, let's talk about the work thing. Is it wrong to work a lot of hours? OK. All right. Here's, here's the point that I'm trying to highlight. It is not wrong to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week if you need to do it to provide, if that's the nature of your job, if you can still fulfill your other responsibilities. The, the problem, I think, comes in when you say, I'm going to work this many hours a week. I'm going to do all the things I want to do with my friends. I'm going to have all the time I want to relax because there's not enough hours in the week to do all of, and and I'm going to fulfill my responsibilities as a husband and a father. There's not really enough time in the week for you to have a very demanding job, do everything you want to do with your hobbies every week and have a bunch of time of relaxation and still minister well to your family. One of those things has to give and often the one that gives is time with your family and fulfilling godly responsibilities of leading and training them um, and, and we can ask ourselves and this is something that we need to ask ourselves there's a biblical balance and this goes a little bit back into the one about work from last week there's a biblical balance between providing you for your family and what does he seem to be doing um, in terms of his attitude toward money providing and uh time with his family what's sort of the dynamic there okay that's part of it what else okay yeah but he's getting he's doing nice things for his kids for their birthday party but is there any issue with that whole okay Okay, relationship I think is the thing that I'm trying to get at. You can't substitute, you know, a, a treehouse for for time with your kids. If you have a treehouse, I'm not saying a treehouse is bad. I'm just saying you can spend a lot of money on a really expensive present, but sometimes all your kids want you to do is go play catch with them in the backyard. That, that's the sort of thing that I'm trying to say. And sometimes we get in a mindset that's like, you know, I need this. And sometimes that's more something that we want than is actually something our our, our family needs. So, again, number of hours is not the issue. Getting the things done that are important is the issue. If hobbies squeeze out getting done what we need to do, if work squeezes out getting done what we need to do, if time with friends squeezes out getting done what we need to do, we need to cut back on that in some way to accomplish the things that God calls us to do. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
0: yeah in some cases and and that limit is different for every person you know i've had family members who would work 89 hours a week and do fine at least for an extended period of time um other people i know you know if they get much over 40 it's a struggle and so you know it's a dynamic between what you're capable of what your family needs and all those sorts of things i uh, my point is simply to say sometimes we want to fixate on well, he just needs to stop working so much. But my point is it's the sum total of everything in your life that occupies all of your time, and we need to make sure we have a biblical balance in those things.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that we accomplish that by going back to, you know, God says, here's the things you got to do. Yeah, go ahead. Right. Yeah. We definitely need to be gracious and patient with people. Uh, we need to have the, the, the willingness to come alongside people and say to somebody in this kind of a situation, hey, you got to give up something. And it can't be your family because God's called you to do that. And, you know, if the job is the thing that can't change, change one of the other things. Go fishing once a year, not every weekend. You know, and maybe part of it is, and not in every case, but if you're doing the big vacations and the expensive presents, that's part of having to work the however many hours. So if you adjust your expectations of what you need to do, sometimes that factor in. Yes? I
2: think and Yeah. Think I'm up? Yeah. You know, are there things I you what do you see that I'm not doing? Sure. And by yeah. Good. Well, Yeah. That could be nice and I a yeah. be
1: a Yeah.
0: And, and if it's something that his family hates doing, then he can say, "You know what, let's, instead of going fishing, let's go you know ride bikes or whatever. you know, So sometimes we're like, "No, this is the thing I want to do, and everybody else is going to do it too." And, you know um, All right, let's go over the last case study. We don't have to spend a real long time on it, but I just want us to have the same sort of discussion briefly. I think we may need to get to the door in a second. Um, someone read this one for us real quick. It's a little shorter. always, He just always told me how I can do, do it better. I wish Dad was like Mom. If I get in trouble, when like
1: she's the only one at home, she just told to me I'm going go right back to him when I want. You
2: tell Lonnie we'll talk to his parents, and the plan is to meet all together again for next
0: week. Before we discuss that, um, somebody unlock the doors real quick if you would. I got one. Oh, there, you're good. Okay. okay. All right. Great. Um, so. Thoughts on this one? Good things, bad things, things that should be worked through. Yeah. Okay. What's she doing? What's the what's the dad doing poorly with discipline? Yeah.
1: Well, maybe He's not balancing, you know, what he does well and criticizes
0: everything he doesn't do well That's and that never
2: works and don't see eye to eye on the discipline. Yeah. It's a big red flag. Sure. Okay, good. Yeah. They wouldn't right. let them see the more fact you have. Right. What you're doing now is well. he's telling you what you see. Right. And you don't know what's really going on. So you have sure. to
0: kind of figure that all out. You got to assume that you're all fast at the point of showing. Okay. Good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So are they Christians? Getting the facts and uh, making sure that they're all following what God would call them to do, whether that be disciplining properly or obeying even when your parents aren't perfect. So yeah, I think those are all excellent points. All right, we'll wrap up there. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to look at these truths. These are uh, daily and difficult uh, just uh, relationships to do well in a way that honors you and sets a godly example. Just help us to do that and to bring you glory in it in Christ's name. Amen.